The title of my uh, talk this morning is called Hunger. I'm going to be talking about uh, being spiritually hungry. Um, the passage that we're going to study uh, is when Jesus fed 5,000 hungry people. Uh, but I want to talk about being spiritually hungry. Uh, let me just say this. If Jesus crosses your mind in the middle of the week, you're spiritually hungry. If you think to yourself, I really wish I was closer to the Lord. I wish my relationship was better. I want you to know you are spiritually hungry. If you look at the areas of your life that uh, you uh, know you wish you could improve because you know that it would please the Lord if you improved them. I want you to know you are spiritually hungry. If you have reached a point in your life where you're kind of sick of uh, church as usual, religion as usual, a mundane uh, church experience, that means you are spiritually hungry. If you've reached a point in your life where you want your prayer life to be something that you look forward to and not something that you have to drag yourself to, I want you to know you are spiritually hungry. When you are in this room and I share a message and you just feel stronger listening to it, you are spiritually hungry. Uh, I want to talk to you today. I want to talk to you about that spiritual hunger. Uh, because uh, the, the Lord talked about being spiritually hungry as he was feeding people who were physically hungry. Um, I want to say this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. For those of you that are spiritually hungry, you want more of God. I just want you to know that your frustration is God's invitation. You would not be feeling frustrated if God were not inviting you. It's so nice to have you back, Pastor Bettinger. Uh, Pastor and Pastor, I call you Pastor Bettinger. Uh, it's so nice to have you back. You went through a big surgery a couple weeks ago, and uh, it's nice to have you back. Um, absolutely. Um, I, I want to uh, to just say, um, uh, to if you're frustrated, you're being invited. Uh, and the Lord will fill you. He doesn't want you to stay in that state of frustration long. He wants you to stay in that frustration just long enough to pursue him and he will fill you. Uh, rather than reading the passage in John chapter 6 where Jesus fed 5,000 people, I'm going to show it to you via video. Uh, why don't you take a look at this?
Father in heaven feeds the birds of the air, how much more will he give to you? So what we have here is we've got 5,000, we've got way more than 5,000, I'll get to that in a minute, but we've got 5,000 men who are hungry, physically hungry, and the Lord starts teaching them about being spiritually hungry and how to be fulfilled. He says, if you put me first, um, everything else will begin to take care of itself, which is not easy. It's very not easy to take things that we're worried about, things that we're concerned about, set them aside and put them second place behind pursuing God. Um, It's much easier uh, to pursue God as our ultimate target by aiming at initial targets first. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever gone bowling before, but if you if you ever go bowling, you'll notice that uh, the bowling pins are about 60 feet away from what they call the foul line. The foul line is where you're supposed to release the ball and not cross the ball past that foul line. Aiming for those pins 60 feet away with those gutters on both sides is not easy. Uh, it's not easy for me anyway. I have granny balled many a ball. Um, and uh, it's just not easy. But what I've learned uh, about bowling is that rather than aiming at the ultimate target, there are initial targets before the ultimate target. Um, before the foul line, and the foul line is the place where you release the ball, there are dots. Many of you have noticed them doesn't matter what bowling alley you go to, there are dots on the floor. And professional bowlers, they don't aim at the ultimate target. They don't aim at the pins. They aim at the dots that are right in front of their feet. And for an amateur bowler that wants to become a professional bowler, rather than aiming at the dots because it's so close, it's, off, it's kind of difficult, there are a set of arrows six feet away. That if you aim at those arrows instead of the pins, you have a better chance of reaching your goal of knocking down all the pins. So the principle here is, is that if you aim at the initial target, it is much easier to reach the ultimate target. Ultimate targets in life can be incredibly intimidating. If you need to lose 100 pounds, that's scary. If your marriage is falling apart and you're looking at the show on TV, The Bachelor, and they're so in love and you want that, I still can't believe that show is on TV been on TV forever and it's like somebody show if you like that show I'm sorry but anyway uh, you're looking at at your marriage and you see that marriage and reaching that ultimate target of just being in love that just seems so impossible aiming for that ultimate target aiming for the ultimate target of looking at how much debt you might have 
10,000, 20,000, 50,000, 70,000, looking at that debt load thinking, how in the world can I get rid of all that debt? The ultimate target, it can be so incredibly intimidating. From a spiritual standpoint, to think to yourself, I want my relationship with God to be so personal that it feels like I'm just talking to a friend. That my relationship with God is the ultimate target. That his thoughts are my thoughts. That I think like him. I observe like him. That's my ultimate target. That can feel incredibly intimidating. But there are initial targets for all of those ultimate targets that if we aim for those, we will hit the ultimate target. Here's, let me talk about three initial targets that Jesus shows us while he was feeding the 5,000. Three initial targets. The first target is to control our flesh. Now, you've heard that before in church. You've read it before in books. You may have even thought it to yourself. But here's where that point derives from. You've got 5,000 men. That doesn't include women. That doesn't include children. You've got 5,000 people who are starving because they have been following Jesus all day long. They're hungry. Now, when I read the Bible, I don't try to read a lot. I just try to understand small portions. And so when I read this, I backed up in my chair and I thought, if you're hungry, go home. (laughs) That's what you do. That's what I do, right? We go, if you're hungry, you go home. I don't know if you're like me, but if you haven't eaten, you're a little bit testy. (laughs) A a little bit angry, a a little bit uh, chippy. What's the word? Uh, where, where's where, where's uh, uh, Crystal at? Hangry. Hangry. You're hungry and angry at the same time. You're hangry. Right? Just, I'm not really this mad. I'm just hungry, so now I'm mad. Right? The way we're wired up, you wake up in the morning, you got to eat. Four hours later, got to eat. Four hours after that, got to eat. Three hours after Three and seven hours after that, we got to eat again. Why is it? Because our bodies need to eat. And when we don't eat, we get, how do you say, hangry? You're hungry and angry. You're angry because you're hungry. I got it. Um, and, and you know what's so funny is she's a dental hygienist, and she was telling me that word between services. And she goes, yeah, we came up with that word at my office because there's like 16 of us ladies... And when we start getting hungry, <laughs> you better watch out. <laughs> you just, and so I'm thinking if I'm, uh, if I'm in a crowd of people and I'm hungry, I just go home. Just go home. Get something to eat. Go get a peanut butter and jelly. If you're hungry, you don't have to be here. Nobody's making you be here. Go home. 5,000 people are starving, but yet they choose to not go home. Why is that? Why, 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 why? Because they're spiritually hungry at the same time. And they're more spiritually hungry than they are physically hungry. They have a spiritual hunger. 
They also have a physical hunger. Their spirit wants something, but their flesh wants something. Their spirit is pulling them this way. Their flesh is pulling them that way. There is a war. And this is something that the Lord is showing us in this passage. That if you're ever spiritually hungry, you have got to be courageous enough to tell your physical body what to do. Here's the deal. Our flesh and our spirit war against each other. Whenever you get home, study it. It's in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. It says our spirit and our flesh war against each other. We will want to say things to people in a mean, derogative, aggressive way. We want to tell them about them and their mother when they're acting like an idiot, right? We want to just talk about the whole family tree. And so that's our flesh. Our spirit, on the other hand, is like, don't do that. Our flesh says, look at it. Our spirit says, don't look at it. Our flesh says, say it. Our spirit says, don't say it. Our spirit says, worship. Our flesh says, I don't feel like it. There's constantly this war, this tug of war. And what the Lord is saying here is, look, there are going to be time after time, moment after moment, several times a day, where your flesh is going to want one thing, your spirit is going to want another, and you're going to have to ask yourself, which one do you want more? Here's the other principle. Uh, that took place when Jesus was standing in front of these 5,000 people. It was fascinating because, as I mentioned before, 5,000, that's only counting the men. They did not count the women nor the children. They didn't count the women or the children. They didn't count the teenagers. They didn't count the young men. Now, all of a sudden, uh, Jesus looks at this young man and he says, you have fish. Or the disciples said, you have fish, you have loaves. Jesus wants to work with you. Jesus wants to talk with you. And here's the thing. I find it so fascinating that the people that nobody counts are always seem to be the people that Jesus wants to use. Other people look over the people that Jesus wants to use. Point number two is to control our emotions. Because there will be hundreds of times in a year or in a month, thousands of times, where our emotions begin to start moving in a direction that is opposite of faith. It is opposite of being positive. It is opposite of being up. And the way we control our emotions determine whether or not we just stay in a state of being hungry or we begin to actually grow closer to the Lord. Our emotions are such a powerful thing. Let me talk about it just for a moment. Um, If I were that young man and I weren't counted, I don't like not being counted. I don't like feeling invisible. I don't like feeling... Um, like the whole world is in fifth gear and I'm still in first. I, I don't like that. But what I've noticed is that whatever is happening to me that is causing me to feel imperfect, imperfection actually distinguishes me and distinguishes you. See, the imperfection of this young man is that he wasn't old enough. But that was the exact thing that distinguished him. We fight against 
being distinguished. It's our nature to almost want to, to not be too different, to stick out. Um, but there's a term out there. Uh, for those of you um, that like to study uh, outside of class, if you will, there's a term out there called the pratfall effect. The pratfall effect. Now, this is for everybody here that you ever do something at work where you back up and you go, man, I messed that up. Or you do something at home and you think, ah, I messed that up. There's the pratfall effect. It, it means this. As long as you're generally competent, making a small occasional mistake makes people think you're more competent. And so it's once again having to control our emotions because at the office or at home in relationships, you make a mistake. If you're anything like most people, you want to beat yourself up. But if most of the time you're competent, regardless of how you feel about you, the way other people view you is that you actually appear to be more competent. It's called the pratfall effect. It's a phenomenal study. Once again, our emotions have to be something that we control. I've thought about this recently. How would we treat a friend who lied to us as much as our emotions lie to us? Oh, we would never talk to that person ever again. Our emotions lie daily. If you had a friend who lied to you daily, you'd never talk to them again and you ignore everything that they say. Maybe we should take a note out of our own playbook. Are you with me? Here's something about emotions that is so interesting. Uh, and uh, our, our emotion tells us, our senses tell us that certain objects stink. They, this smells. You take object A... And it goes, ooh, that smells so good. I love it. Ooh. So you take object B. Yuck. Scientists came back around and took object A and took object B and, and took a deep dive into the ingredients to figure out what exactly is going on in there that makes one odor foul and another odor pleasant. When they took that deep dive, they took something like flowers. And they said, flowers that <sighs> smell good actually has a detestable odor inside of that good smell. That odor, if you're taking notes, is called indole. Now, for those of you that don't know what indole is, indole is often found in your large intestines. <laughs> Let me say it this way. Indole is doo-doo. Are we on the same page now? All right. Indole is found in good-smelling flowers. So what does that mean? That means in order for something to smell pleasant, it has to have something inside of it that is imperfect. It has to have something in it that's foul. See, our emotions tell us that all perfections are false. That's not true at all. Imperfections 
distinguish us. Imperfections cause us to stand out. Imperfections are often the most beautiful thing. Some of your most favorite perfumes have indole mix in it. Some of you are sitting next to somebody. (laughs) That's the reality. Watch this. It even pertains to our looks. Emotionally speaking, we may think that every single imperfection that we have causes us to be less attractive. And it's a complete lie. This is why we have to wrestle with our emotions. Point number one was what? Wrestle with our flesh. Control our flesh. Point number two is to wrestle with our emotions. Our imperfections physically distinguish us in a very positive way. All of them. Take, for instance, Cindy Crawford. Cindy Crawford spent the first part of her modeling career trying to cover up that mole. She put powder on it. She put makeup on it. She put all kinds of other stuff on it. She put everything on it. Her career went nowhere. The minute she stopped covering up that imperfection, her career took off. There's another uh, person out there. She's a supermodel. Uh, Her name is Linda Evangelista. So interesting because... Studies say, I was reading this book, if you, if you want to know where I got this content from, it's a fascinating read. It's called The, um, the Dataclism by Christian Rudder. Dataclism. And, and what he pointed out was, is that the, uh, this person, uh, Linda Evangelist, uh, Evangelista, I think that's how you pronounce her name, she's got very bad hair. I don't know what that means. I don't throw stones. <laughs> okay? I, I don't know what that means, but, but I guess in the modeling world, you can have bad hair. Uh, and so she, she did all these things. I don't know what you do when you have bad hair. Um, any kind of hair is good hair to me. Um, but, but she did all these things, all these chemicals to her hair. And then finally, she just decided, hey, my hair is what it is. Um, and her modeling career took off. Imperfections is what distinguishes you. Imperfections is what the enemy wants us to get insecure about. Whereas the true truth, if you will, of the matter, the moral of the story and the principle is simply this. Be yourself and be brave about it. Be yourself and be brave about it. Uh, I went with uh, a, a friend of mine uh, was was really interested in this girl, and uh, he just felt like he wasn't good looking enough for her. Uh, this was a long, 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 long time ago. He just didn't feel, and so he never really approached her. She ended up dating this guy, getting engaged to this guy, and then he ended up meeting this guy. He said, "I wonder who actually caught this girl." He saw the guy and he knew in his heart, I am way better looking than this guy. But this guy, and he actually said, I'm actually cooler than this guy. This guy's a dork. He goes, but what this guy has that I don't have is that this guy has confidence and I don't. In other words, the guy was not good looking and he was kind of goofy, but he owned it. 
He's like, yeah, deal with it. <laughs> deal with it. I like to dress up as Chewbacca. <laughs> deal with it. And, and that confidence made him so attractive. They've gotten married, and lo and behold, the guy is like starting like two or three different businesses, and uh, all of them make a little bit of money, and you put them all together, and now he's making a whole bunch of money. It's, it's crazy. And, and he's just walking around with his swag of nerdiness. <laughs> Deal with it. The, if you're taking notes and you're only going to write one thing down other than the scripture that we started off with, be yourself and be brave about it. Why is that? That is controlling our emotions. When you look in the mirror and you see an imperfection, that's the distinguishing mark. When people overlook you or you even try to overlook you, God has a tendency of picking people that other people don't even count. Amen. And then there's this issue of patience. See, uh, patience is a part of controlling your emotions. I can't stand patience. There's nothing about patience I like. It took me 20 years to learn how to spell patience because I want to spell it like it's patience in a hospital. <laughs> I don't like patience. I can't stand patience. There's nothing about patience I like. Uh, I don't like waiting. I can't stand waiting. What's interesting is, is that the greatest miracles you usually have to wait for. Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to do something special here. But what I need you to do is I need you to take all these people, all these 5,000 plus people, and I need you to put them in groups of 50. Now, there were 5,000 men. So let's just assume there was close to between 10 and 15,000 people. Because they didn't count the women and they didn't count the children. So Jesus looks at his 12 disciples and says, I want you to put these 10 to 15,000 in groups of 50. I've illustrated this before. I want to illustrate it the same way I did last time. Watch this. Groups of 50. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50. Sit down. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50. Sit down. 1, 2, 3, 4... <laughs> 5, 6, 7, 8, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 40, 47, 48, 49, 50. Sit down. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, to 15,000. 7, 8, 9, 10, 30, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 40, 40, 40, 40. Jesus, are you serious? Are you serious? Keep on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I think I already, oh shoot. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You're counting my people. You're supposed to be counting the people over there. I'm counting these people. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. This looks like 50. Go ahead and sit down. All right. Up to 10 to 15,000. Now, what are you thinking? I'm thinking the same thing. Why? 
Hey, he, uh. <laughs> Here's the thing. If we were to look at Jesus and say why, Jesus would say, keep on counting. See, the best miracles are not moved by hunger. The best miracles are not moved by desire. The best miracles come at its proper time. There's there's something called uh, Jewish people take time differently than we take time. Uh, We take time called chronos time, chronological. Uh, If you have an hour hand and a uh, a second hand on your watch, that's chronological. Chronological. There's one o'clock, then two o'clock, then three o'clock, then four o'clock, then five. I'm not going to do what I just did. But that's chronological. Well, Jewish people understood that there was chronos time and there's also kairos time. Kairos time has nothing to do with chronological. Tick, 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 tick. It has nothing to do with your watch. You can take your watch and throw it in the trash can. It has nothing to do with that. What it has everything to do with are events. That's why in the Bible it says the Garden of Eden. And then Moses. And then Abraham. He moves with events. God moves with events. You and I are going, hello, it's been seven days. Uh, It's not how God takes time. God moves with events. He knows there is an event coming. He's preparing you for that event. He moves you from event to event to event. If I look at my wife and I's marriage over the last 14 years, there are some significant events. There's when we got married. It's when we moved to Houston. It's when we had Presley. A few years later, we had Luke. Then we had Kate. We started the church. We move in events. I don't remember what time it was when Presley came. She does. But... (laughs) But that's an event. Are you with me? I don't remember what time it was when we loaded up the U-Haul and moved from Kingwood to the Woodlands. I don't know what time it was. It was an event. God moves in events. And that's what cultivates patience. When the Lord says, look, I need you to break them up into groups of 50. One, two, three, four, five. I don't understand what this is going to take all day. What I'm doing in you is more important than what's happening to you. Listen to what I'm asking you to do, John. Listen to what I'm asking you to do, Peter. I know you want to feed these people. I know that that is the ultimate target. But let's not aim at the ultimate target. Let's aim first at the initial target. And the initial target is for you to be obedient and count these people. See, a lot of times we don't want to be obedient in an area that seems unrelated to the area that we're believing God for. But it's all related. Everything is related. If I'm praying for a breakthrough, guess what? I need to be nice to my neighbor. What does that have to do? What does your financial breakthrough have anything to do with being nice to your neighbor? I don't know how counting people in groups of 50 has anything to do with fish and loaves either. It's about patience. What does all this mean? We've got to control our flesh. We've got to control our emotions. Something to uh, begin to unpack is... 
We've got to begin to control our expectations. This is all a subpoint under emotions. You know, I think about it sometimes. I think, okay, if I'm in a crowd of 15,000 people, imagine being at an NBA basketball game. That's about 15 to, to 20,000. And you look around the room, and, and all of a sudden, uh, somebody comes up to you that you don't know, named Peter or John, one of the disciples, and says, hey, I need you to sit down. Now, if I'm hungry, and I'm out in a field, and some guy that I don't know comes up and tells me I need to sit down, I'm like, hold up, partner. Right? What do I need to sit down for? Then he, that same disciple comes back around and gives me bread. It's interesting that sometimes the relationships that we despise the most is actually the hand that's going to be blessing us. You don't know who's going to be blessing us. So all of a sudden, these people, these 5,000 people are sitting there, and all of a sudden, they're holding bread. Oh, they don't know what just happened way over there. you got to realize how big this crowd is. You're following Jesus, and all of a sudden, you get bread. Now, what's so fascinating about this story that I have never seen before is watch this. In John chapter 6, verse 11, it says, Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. Did you catch that? Let me read it again. Then Jesus took the loaves gave thanks for it, distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. So imagine you're sitting in this big stadium with with 15,000 people. Someone tells you to sit down, you sit down. All of a sudden, you see like this wave. You ever been in a stadium where this wave goes around? All of a sudden, you see movement, chaos, ruckus. You're like, what's going on over there? Oh my goodness, They're passing out bread. This is awesome. This is so awesome. Oh, you're eating the bread. Hey, man. Hey, Peter. I know I I yelled at you when you told me to sit down. I didn't know. uh, (laughs) I didn't know that's where you're going with that. I'm sorry. Man, thank you so much. It's it's real humble. See, when you're not kind, uh, you can eat that later. See, God's plan A is to humble you. God's plan B is to humiliate you. So you might as well just be humble, right? So you say, I mean, I'm really sorry, but thanks for the bread, man. Appreciate it. So you start eating the bread, and all of a sudden you start seeing ruckus again. What in the world's going on? What? What? What's going on? No way. <laughs> Shut up. They're passing out fish. What's going on around here? Hold on, give me that. Let me borrow that. Hold on. I wonder if they got cream brulee down there. <laughs> here comes the fish. What, why did Jesus distribute the bread first? Because he is called the bread of life. And he's saying, keep me first. I know fish tastes better. I know you'd like to have the fish first. I know the fish, the bread gets pushed to the side and you just dip it in the thing and you really focus in on the dish and the bread. But listen, I'm the bread of life. Don't push me aside. I'm not a garnish on the table. I'm the main course. Keep me the main course. And, and I've got things, I've got things planned that you don't know about. 
See, whenever you get depressed and whenever you get down, that means you're looking into the future and you don't like what you see. Those people that were sitting there were eating bread and they're like, man, I wasn't expecting this, but this is awesome. They didn't know fish was in the future. Can I just tell you, you don't know what's in your future. You don't know what's in 2016. You might be backing up going, well, oil's down. It doesn't look like it's going to be coming up to another 2021. So I guess I'll just trudge through it and just keep on passing out resumes. You don't know what 2016 has. You don't know. You don't know. I don't know. You know, uh, our our business team is, um, they're all about numbers. I think they're the tin man because they don't care about anything but numbers. It's like, ting, 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 ting. I open up there. There's no heart in there, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm talking to you oil and gas guys. You know who you are. You're you're the tin man. If, If it's not on the spreadsheet, you don't care about it. Don't care about it. Yeah, yeah, I I feel like I'm in a counseling session right now. So we sit down at a business meeting, and the business team, they just want to look at spreadsheets. And I'm like, man, God was good last Sunday, wasn't he? Yeah, he sure was. He sure was. Okay, let's see what we got here. (laughs) Man, God is moving. I'm telling you, God's moving. Well, let's let's, let's see here. Let's see here. Okay, let's see how good is God moving. <laughs> if you can't measure it, it doesn't matter, okay? And so I'm like, you know, I've kind of, you can kind of chart, okay? So this is the patterns over the last X number of years. And, and you can kind of project now because you're, you're looking at patterns, right? Don't we all do that? You look at this year, you look at the year before, you look at the year before. And then you set your expectations for next year depending on how the past few years have been going. You don't know. You, you, let me just tell you. Let me just tell you. And let me tell me. And let me tell all of us. When we put God first, you don't know what's coming around that thing. You don't know what's coming around the corner. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. The only thing you hear, the only thing I hear is, can you sit down please? the only thing we feel is i got to be obedient again i got to be sacrificial again i got to keep my mouth shut and sound like a good christian again oh this is awesome man this is real bread whoa fish whoa it's our emotions it's our emotions so number one we control our flesh number two we control our mind. And then number three, we control our heart. It's very fascinating because Jesus looked at the disciples. He just got done feeding ten to 15,000 people. And he goes, hey, this is what I need you to do. I need you to get those baskets, and I want you to go pick up all the leftovers. Go pick up all the leftovers. Now, uh, if, if studying the Bible is easy for you, you keep doing what you're doing. If studying the Bible is hard for you, maybe you can adopt it the way I study it, and maybe it'll help you. This is how I study it. I back up and I go, huh pick up the leftovers. Why would Jesus tell him to pick up the leftovers? Why, 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 why? And then I think when I'm at a restaurant and I ask for a doggy bag because I want to bring my leftovers home, why am I wanting to bring the leftovers home? Let me ask you, why do you want to take the leftovers home? 
Let me hear you. You're going to eat it later. You're going to get hungry again. Ah, oh, ah, sorry, Jesus. I'm a little slow. I'm a little slow, but I just caught up. You know I'm going to be hungry again. You know I'm going to have a problem again. And you want me to say, hey, you fed me once. You can feed me again. You fed me when I was two, when I was three, when I was four, when I was five. When I, I'm, you can feed me again. You're, gonna, you're the one I'm going to go to next time. Now, let's take a deeper dive. Why else do you bring home leftovers? Because, uh-huh. you know, when you come home from the Cheesecake Factory and whoever didn't come with you that's at the house, you're like, was it good? <laughs> oh, it was good. It was good. It was good. And, and you know what? I didn't finish it. Here it is. <gasps> and then you, you share it. Ah, okay, 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 okay. See, sharing what we have will always be of paramount importance to the Lord. It always has been. It always will be. A lot of times, we as Christ followers, as long as our needs are being met, we stop there. Not inviting people to church is unacceptable. This isn't me. This is the Lord. The Lord looked at Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, you know I love you. Well, then I want you to feed my lambs. Peter, do you really love me? Yes, I do. I want you to feed my sheep. Watch this scripture right here. This is a, this is a really fascinating scripture. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 27, it says, What I tell you in the dark, what I tell you inside four walls, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. What I share with you, share it. Do you know I pray about it? I say, God, I, I want to bring people to church. You got to put somebody in my path. Set me up on an appointment. Show me who to bring. Prepare their heart before I talk to them. You got to pray about it. I was debating between services whether or not I was going to share this I shared it in the first service I felt awkward and so I decided maybe I'm not going to share it in the second service but I feel like I should I don't feel awkward again but um, on the way to church this morning it was still dark out or the light actually it was starting to light was coming up it gets the sun comes up earlier this time of year but my family was still sleeping when I left the house I'm driving to church And I don't know why. I do not know why. Please nobody try to corner me in the lobby and try to pray for me about this. But all of a sudden, I just got like completely depressed. Just down. Which is so weird because I don't have anything. Like my life is going really good right now. But I got so depressed. I don't know if you've ever been there. I'm driving down the research forest going like 17 miles an hour. Just down, just down. 
And I felt bad about it. I told God, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I just, you know, I don't want to go to church. I'm the pastor. This isn't good. This isn't good. I don't want to go to church. I'm looking at Egg and I. I'm looking at the church. I'm looking at... (laughs) Uh, I I don't want to go. And so I come in the office. And um, I've got my suit hanging up on a hanger. And I'm just staring at him like, I'm going to have to put that thing on at some point. So put the suit on. I'm walking down the, the aisle. And I'm talking to myself. Happy smile, happy smile, happy smile, hi, happy, put on, happy smile. You've done this before, haven't you? Happy smile, happy smile. You're in a good mood, you're happy, you're smiling, you're happy, you're smiling, you're happy, you're smiling. I'm not happy, and I'm mad about smiling. I turn the corner, and I see Theo the dog, the mascot out there in the lobby. And he's like... <laughs> And uh, I gave him a high five, and I I said, hey, I don't know who's in here, but I just want you to know, thank you so much for coming early and getting in here. Thank you. And then Theo's little pal, I don't know his name, Spot, the other mascot right next to him, he's like, ears going... And I, I'm like looking in there. I'm like, hey, I don't know who's in here either, but I want to say thank you for coming. And then I walked, I was passing the information table and uh, Sandy was in it. I said, hey, Sandy, I know you had to get here. Hey, thanks for coming. And then I saw Sam Granberry. He opened up the door in the back as one of our ushers. And uh, I just felt really grateful that Sam came early to open the door for you guys. And so I said, hey, Sam, I just want you to know, man, thank you. And after I had said those like four thank yous, I don't know what happened in the process. But I went from like depressed looking for chocolate to feeling like I was 15 feet tall. See, there's something in this that when the Lord sees us sharing what we have with other people, he's so appreciative that he takes his mighty hand and he grabs us and he lifts us up to places that we didn't even know existed and we didn't even know how we were going to get there. See, the, the kingdom is inverted. You, you have to praise in order to feel joy. You would think that you praise because you're feeling joy. No, it's, it's inside out. You, you have to give in order to receive And this is a heart issue. So what the Lord is saying in this story is, look, I know you're hungry. I know you're hungry for righteousness. I know you're hungry for a relationship with me. And because you're hungry, you will be filled. But you're going to have to control that flesh. You tell your flesh when to shut up. You tell your flesh when to sit down. You tell your flesh what to look at, what not to look at. You hang on to those emotions. You, you deal with those emotions. Don't let them deal with you. You deal with them and deal with your heart. You keep your heart steady and focused. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely.